and stand, um, just in respect for the Word of God. That is a tradition, and there's nothing sacred about a tradition. But in the book of Ezra, there's a passage there that says, when Ezra stood up to read, that the congregation stood. You know, and if we'll stand at attention to the American flag, this is our kingdom, and this is our king. And out of reverence for our God and his word, we just ask you to stand. So 1 Kings chapter 21, and I need to get over there myself. First Kings twenty one seventeen through verse twenty one. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity, and I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. Father, it is a fearful thing to come into the hands of of the living God. Lord, it is appointed unto man to die once, and after that, the judgment. And Lord God, you were so patient, so long-suffering with King Ahab. And God, we thank you today that it's your long-suffering and it's your goodness that brings each one of us to repentance. And Father, today I pray that, Lord, if there's any here today that has never decided in their heart to turn from their sin, to confess that they are a sinner, to confess that their sin has offensed against a holy, righteous judge, that God, today, that they would look in faith, knowing that they cannot save themselves, that Jesus Christ has paid the debt of their sin in full, and if they will simply humbly turn to him. Father, I pray for us as your church, as believers, God, that we would be sensitive to your word, that we would be swift to hear your word. God, that our hearts might be uh, soft and, and gentle, Lord. Uh, it says in James that, that we're to allow the, the implanted or the engrafted word into our hearts. We're to receive your word with meekness. It's the living gospel that has taken us out of darkness and translated us into your kingdom of your son. And therefore, we are to desire, we're to hunger, we're to thirst for the sincere milk of the word so that we might grow thereby. If indeed we have tasted that our God is gracious, 
And so, Lord, today, for believers, I pray that you'll edify us. God, help us to be in children-like attitudes, childlike attitudes in our malice, but mature in our understanding. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these historical stories that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, left for us to learn from. Bless the teaching of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> and So, you know, the title of the, the sermon doesn't mean a whole lot. <laughs> it's the Word of God. But I was sort of searching for how to describe this, and so I just said how to recognize a scorner. Um, because they teach you in homiletics, that's a fancy word for preaching, that you don't want a, a long title because people can't remember it. And I really have a longer version of it. <laughs> and that is how to recognize the scorner that's within all of us. Um, because I don't want us to have the impression today that we're supposed to be looking around the church and say, okay, I'm recognizing a scorner. This one is, and that one, that's, that's not the purpose of this message. It really is for us to look at our own hearts and say, in the light of God's word, what does it mean to be a scorner? How can I avoid getting pulled in to somebody who is scornful how to recognize it, and how to deal with people who are heading down that slippery slope. And the reality is, if we will be honest with ourselves, if we're not scorning right now, it won't take too long where something happens and we start being scornful of somebody else. Or if we look back in our past and we'll say, you know what, I was pretty much a scorner at one time, and I look where I was, and I thank God I'm not where I used to be, but I still see myself in the mirror of God's word, and I say, God, please, I don't want to be what I was yesterday either. There was a time where I was just nothing but a, a, a holy Pharisee. Uh, when I first got saved, yeah, I was zealous and I was excited. But I remember writing letters to people going through very hard times and just lambasting them with Scripture. I remember working with a, a church planter one time uh, in my early Christian walk, and this Christian church planter was was working on his house because it, it needed to be finished. And I was reading through the book of Haggai, and I was pointing my fingers saying, what are you doing working on your own house when there's things in this community that need to be fixed and there's people who are lost? And in my piety, thinking I was more spiritual, didn't realize that this man was going to open up his home to homeless people and to detox people and to feed people and to shelter and to clothe them. And, oh, righteous me, I, I was going to scorn them. <laughs> and, and I hope I've grown a little bit. Um, so this sermon isn't pointing to anybody, it's pointing to me, first of all, and I have to look at my own heart and say, am I scornful sometimes? Do I have the attitude? And so I want to, first of all, define a scorner. Ahab is your per perfect picture of what a scorner is. Um, when he's confronted with truth, he scorns the messenger instead of taking it on board. He's quick to see other people's faults, but very slow to see his own. Uh, so those are some of the attributes of a scorner. But 
The books of poetry in the Old Testament have a lot to do about scorners. Um, Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his, his law doth he meditate day and night. So what a contrast between the scorner and the one who delights in God's law. And really, the remedy, if, if I wanted to just cut this sermon really short today, I'd say, you know what? The remedy for scornfulness is just bury yourself in God's word. God did this for me this week. I, I opened up Matthew 18. Ron says, I don't know why you bring these up here, because I ain't going anywhere on near these things. <laughs> I was reading Matthew 18 this week, and they brought children to Jesus, and the scorners said, get the kids away. And Jesus said, bring them in, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus began to teach about what these little children were like. And he says, unless you are converted and become a little child, you will never enter into heaven. So when we get the attitude of scorning things and thinking we're better, then we have missed even the, the whole picture of the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says this. He says, and here's the context of this, and you can't separate it from the context. He says, it's better that you cut your hand off, chop your foot off, or pluck your eye out than to do what? Than to scorn and offend one of these little ones. That's the context of this. And then the whole context of church discipline is in the context of a scorner. Instead of talking about people, you go to that person one-on-one -on -one and you say, hey, brother, you've done this, and you restore that brother and you embrace him. And this whole chapter is on what it means to be a scorner. And then he tends a parable at the end of that chapter. It is all one message, and I've never seen that before in my entire life. And God opened my eyes this week. That when I am not forgiving, and when I am not giving other believers grace to grow, I'm in a dangerous, slippery spot. Because Jesus says in that parable, you, Patrick, you owed me a debt that was insurmountable. And I said, it's gone. Every penny that you owed me, God said, I paid for it on the cross. And when I see somebody who's offended me something slightly, and I grab them by the throat and say, hey, knock it off, get your act together, and I don't give them grace, God says, that's what you've done with my forgiveness, and neither will I forgive you. And then Jesus moves on and goes to another place. That entire chapter is a dialogue about what the kingdom of heaven really, really looks like. And I've never saw that before. And, and God opened my eyes as I was preparing this message. And I said, this is where I need to come in my spiritual life. I need to see my flock that God has entrusted me as, as children. That you, yeah. Tiffany walked in today and she had the biggest smile on her face. And she said, what's going on at the church today? Is something special? And I said, yes, something special's going on. You know what that is? Jesus is here. That's something special. 
This is where I want to be because Christ is here. In, in that chapter, Jesus said this, well, a couple chapters before, he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am here in the midst. So scorners are, are people, and this is how the Hebrew word is defined, a scorner is one who's inflated about their own importance. And boy, we can see that in Ahab, can't we? Why is he down in Naboth's vineyard? Because he thought he was so important that he thought, you know what? I'm the king. I deserve to have that, that plot of land because it's right next to my garden. And I really like it. So a, a scorner is someone who's inflated about their own importance and their own significance while at the same time derides others who they think do not measure up to their standard. Naboth, who are you to talk back to the king? I'm going to take what's mine. Secondly, a scorner is one who makes little of their own sin and goes so far as to mock those who attempt to correct them. I don't like to be corrected. That's just my flesh. I think that's human nature. We like to be right. That's, that's all of us, isn't it? And when somebody points out something wrong in our life, you know what the very first response I do? I'm just being honest with you. I get defensive. And I start to justify what I'm doing instead of really listening to that person. And at that moment, you are no longer open to growth. Because you think you have arrived. And that really is the picture of a biblical scorner. Sometimes scorners should simply be avoided. Bad company corrupts good morals. He that reproves a scorner gets himself shame, and he that rebukes the wicked man gets himself a blot. Remove, reprove not a scorner, lest he hate you. That was Elijah, wasn't it? He was hated. Have you found me, oh my enemy? He, he didn't appreciate Elijah's ministry in his life, did he? No, he scorned it. Again, that's what a scorner does. Proverbs 13, 1, a wise man hears his father's in, instruction, but a scorner hears not rebuke. Boy, no wonder my dad wanted to take early retirement. He worked with teenagers. <laughs> it's, teenagers are hard to correct. <laughs> they think they know everything. No, they don't. <laughs> not, not all of them. But, but it, it, it's tough because this is what teenagers forget. They forget that you used to be a teenager and you're not dumb. <laughs> We've been there. We've been through all that stuff. I made those mistakes. I, I, I did talk back to my mom. I, I thought I knew everything. Boy, and I hated to tell my mom she was right. I got a 30-year-old son who finally called his mom on the phone and said, Mom, you were right. <laughs> 30 years later, no, he's done that before too. But, but it, it takes time. It takes time. A scorner takes correction personal as a personal affront. And sometimes we can correct people in an incorrect way and they do get defensive. 
and they do take it personal because we don't do it tactfully. We don't get the beam out of our own eyes first. We don't, don't go to that person and gently restore them. But if it's done in a godly way, a biblical way, we shouldn't take it as a personal attack. In fact, we should say, thank you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. I would rather have a friend tell me what I need to hear than an enemy tell me what I want to hear. And a scorner has just the opposite attitude. And believe me, sometimes I don't like it. I, I'll just be honest with you. A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise, Proverbs 15, 12. Proverbs 21, 24, a scorner is the name of the arrogant man, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. When a scornful attitude is removed, fellowship is improved. Proverbs 22.10, cast out a scorner and contention shall go out, yea, strife and reproach will cease. King Ahab had all the signs of a scorner. It was all about himself and not about others. He was easily influenced and incited to wickedness by his wife, Jezebel. He hated Elijah when he was corrected by Elijah. He refused to take personal responsibility for his own actions, his own words. Ahab felt sorry for himself when he didn't get his own way. Now, if we are honest with ourselves, there are various degrees of all those things in our own lives. So this sermon isn't meant to be saying, okay, who can I find and identify a scorner? How do I recognize them? No, it's for us to look at our own hearts and to say, what degree am I becoming scornful? And say, Lord, I want to repent. I want to stop it right now. And I want to be a person who gives wise counsel. And I want to be a person who's easily entreated. That's the wisdom that comes from above. It's gentle and easily to be entreated. That means easily to take correction. So let's just back up to a chapter and we'll see here the failure to take personal responsibility in Ahab's life and see if this is true for any of us. So um, Ahab was given some explicit directions about the Syrian army. The, Assyrian, the Syrians were oppressing Israel from time to time and they were mocking the king of Israel, but more importantly, they were mocking the God of Israel. And every time Israel won a battle, they said, well, that's only because their God is the God of the mountains. If we fight God, their, their God down in the valley, we're going to wipe him out. And so they said, we'll fight him down in the valley. And, and God kept showing that he was the true one God. And so Ben-Hadad was under a sentence from God. And Ahab was to carry out God's justice in Ben-Hadad's life. That's the, the, the purpose for civil government, and that was God's instrument for the nation of Israel. Israel was to be a kingdom of priests. They were to be a nation that's holy, and they were to be a separate people, and they were to be showing all people the one true God and the way of salvation. That's their role. So we need to understand that when we interpret the Old Testament passages like this. And so... Ben-Hadad was under God's punishment. 
because he was mocking the one true God and he was mocking the people that God had blessed. And God made a covenant with Abraham and said, I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and I will curse those who curse you. And in your seed, all the nations are to be blessed. So if King Ahab does not carry out God's appointed uh, purpose in his life, he is not doing what God has commanded all of Israel to do, and that is to bring people to the Messiah. And so he failed to do that. Ben-Hadad says, you know what? I heard that these kings of Israel, they're pretty wishy-washy. They're easy to, to just to, to, to make treaties with. So let's, let's just make a treaty with him. And this was a man that God had appointed to destruction because he continued to blaspheme the true God and God's people. And so what does Ahab do? Ahab just says, you know what? I'm just going to let you go. Ahab had no courage. He had no backbone to do what was right to represent his God. Now, you and I in the New Testament are not called to do that. We're not under a theocracy. We're under the church and a new covenant that God has made with us. But the same principles apply that we are to stand for the message of Jesus Christ. And we're not to compromise truth for expediency. That's the eternal biblical principle we can take from this. So when Ahab released Ben-Hadad, a prophet came up and said, strike me on the face. And a guy was afraid to do it. He says, okay, you've disobeyed God. Now, God dealt with sin pretty harsh in the Old Testament. We ought to be thankful that we're not under the Old Testament. We ought to be thankful we're not under the book of Acts, where you blaspheme the Spirit of God and you fall dead in the church. You want to get slain in the Spirit? That's what it meant to get slain in the Spirit. Um, never mind. But um, So this guy, he says, strike me. He, he refuses to strike him. He says, okay, you won't obey God. A lion's going to grab a hold of you when you leave here. And that's exactly what happened. The next guy, he says, you strike me on the face. He says, okay, I'm going to do it. And he struck him so hard, he wounded him. And he had to put a bandage over his eye. And then he goes out to meet old Ahab. And he says, Ahab, well, he doesn't know, he, so he takes the bandage off. And he recognizes him. He's one of the prophets, one of the guys that Ahab hates. He says, I've got a parable for you. Or I've got a story for you. He says, a guy was... Uh, there was a battle going on, and they took captive of this guy, and he said, you watch him, and if you don't watch him and secure him, and he gets away, your life will go for the life of the guy that escaped. Now, that was a, a law in the Roman Empire as well, that if you lost a prisoner, your life went for the released prisoner. That's one of the strongest evidence, by the way, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those Roman guards would have never let the disciples come and steal the body of Jesus because they would have been executed. That's just another story for another day. Okay, back to our story. <laughs> the guy says, you have condemned him out of your own mouth, Ahab says. Whatever he said, that's his justice. And here's my point. Ahab knew what God had said and he knew what was right, and he knew what the wrong thing to do was. And when he judged that man in that parable, all he did was condemn himself. And when you and I are scorners, when you and I start picking out faults in other people's lives, we have done the exact same thing that Ahab did. He condemned himself. Ahab knew what the right thing was to do, and he didn't do it. 
Romans chapter 2, he says, You are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, for when thou judgest another and thou doest the same thing, thou condemnest thyself. Do you not understand it's the goodness and forbearance and long-suffering of God, or do you despise the goodness of his mercies? When you and I are so quick to scorn and to condemn, we're really despising God's long-suffering and patience in that person's life. Ahab knew that. We know that. So Ahab failed to take personal responsibility. So that's the first sign how we can detect when we're becoming scornful is when we fail to take personal responsibilities and we can see the faults in other people's lives. Another indicator when I become scornful is when I am more concerned about my personal rights than biblical convictions. Now, where does that happen? Well, that happens here in Naboth's vineyard. Ahab was more concerned about his rights as the king to be the sovereign over the land than Naboth's biblical convictions. Biblical convictions and preferences are two different things. You might have a preference for a type of music. You might have a preference for the way that you do things on certain holidays. You may have a preference for the way that you, uh, uh, I don't know, what Bible you read from. But those are not Bible doctrines that we point the finger at other people about. In this case, Naboth was sticking to his biblical conviction. He says, I am not going to sell this land to you, Ahab, because this is my family inheritance. God has told us in the book of Leviticus, this is Bible, Ahab. This is what the Bible says. This is an inheritance given by God, that God is the only one that owns the land of Israel. Nobody else owns this land. And I will pass this on to my succeeding generations. And I am not going to sell to you, even though that you are the king of Israel, I am not going to compromise. And Ahab was more concerned about his personal rights than biblical convictions. And so that, when I look at my own heart, I have to ask myself, am I becoming scornful because of this? The scorner wants what he wants at all costs. The scorner fails to recognize the deeper spiritual issues that are at stake. Now, Elijah shows us in this passage also how to confront a scorner. Chapter 21, verse 17. So that's where we read today, chapter 21 and verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in a vineyard of Naboth. He has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord. So we'll stop right there. But I want you to see how Elijah confronts Ahab and how this is a pattern for you and I. One, we must make sure that we're going at the command of God. Is it just a personal issue 
Is it, do I feel offended? You know, I, I hear that, that, that phrase so much today that you, you never heard it growing up before. Well, I took offense at that. Well, somebody offended me. I, and we're, we're so easily offended these days, aren't we? And, and it wasn't a personal offense. It wasn't something that a preference. It was a biblical command that had been violated. So when we confront anybody, we need to make sure that this is the issue here, that it has been a biblical violation of an explicit biblical command or a biblical principle that's been broken. And so Elijah doesn't go at his own whim or his own wishes. A biblical command has been violated. If so, then you and I can go with absolute confidence that this is what God wants me to do. Notice that... Elijah didn't go to anybody else, did he? Elijah didn't go and say, hey, I want to talk to you about what Ahab did. You won't believe what old Ahab did. Come here. He, he actually went down to this guy's vineyard. His, his wife made this plot to kill him. And Ahab, his sin was addressed personally by Elijah. So that's the second thing. He went at God's command and he went to him personally And he went, thirdly, because an innocent party had been affected. Naboth's family had lost their property. They had lost a husband. They had lost a father. And Elijah said, enough is enough. I'm going and I'm going to confront this guy because he's broken God's word. I'm going to do it one-on-one with him. And I'm going to say, you have murdered And now are you also going to take possession? So what was the fourth thing that he did? He appealed to his conscience. Ahab, have you stooped this low? This is how far you've gone. The gains, this is a warning to all of us. The gains that are won by tearing someone else down are not enjoyed very long. You don't enjoy it very long, do you? By hurting somebody else to build yourself up, it doesn't last very long. How long did Ahab get to enjoy that vineyard? (laughs) Can you imagine going down there and trying to get your vegetables out of that the next day and the blood of Naboth is in that vineyard? I'll kind of lighten the tone up here. <laughs> My son, he was um, in the Navy, and um, he was going through the, the cafeteria line, and um, there was a big sign that says, only take one ice cream bar, and nobody was looking, so my son grabbed the ice cream bar, and he chowed it down really quick, and he finished through, and the lady at the end says, young man, I see that you don't have your ice cream bar, and so he said, yes, and she gave him another one. So he goes to sit down, and my son had been reading the book of Proverbs that morning. And the proverb that he read, stolen food stays sweet at the beginning, and afterwards it turns to gravel. (laughs) How long could he enjoy that piece of gravel? And my son, to his credit, 
walked back up to the cafeteria lady and handed the, candy, the ice cream bar, and she says, you don't want it? And the lady had no clue what he was talking about. He says, no, gravel doesn't taste too good. <laughs> so the games won don't last too long. And here's another principle that we all need to learn, the principle of sowing and reaping. It starts out small, but you start to reap the whirlwind. The punishment for Ahab was threefold. He says, the dogs that licked the blood of Naboth are going to lick your blood up. The dogs that licked up the blood of Naboth, they're going to eat your wife's corpse in Jezreel. I tell you, the Old Testament's got some blood. Bloody stuff, doesn't it? And the posterity of your family is going to be cut off. All three of those happened. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. We, need to, we really need to have a fear of God, a healthy reverence of His holiness. The scorner hates those who correct them, but in actuality, they become the slave to the sin that the person was trying to correct. He says, have you found me, oh, my enemy? He says, yeah, I have found you, because why? Because you sold yourself. This form of the Hebrew verb, where it's used reflexive like that, it's only used five times, I'm sorry, 5% of all the verbs in the entire Hebrew Old Testament. And it's very, very emphatic when it does it. You have sold, and who did he sell? He sold himself to do evil. He says it twice. Over, If you look over in, in, in verse 25, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness. Romans 6.16 says this. He says, the one who yields himself to sin, what happens? He becomes the slave. He's sold into slavery to the sin. And that's exactly what happens to the scorner who doesn't listen to rebuke, who defends his own position, who rationalizes and justifies what he's doing and plays it down. We end up being sold into the very thing that we despise and hate. Shallow repentance is the final indicator of a scorner. Now, a scorner can act like everything is fine, but eventually they'll go back and do the exact same thing over and over and over again. So we see some genuine signs of repentance, but that wasn't real. Verse 28. Well, let's let's look at verse 27. Chapter 21, verse 27. And it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes. That was an outward sign of humility. He put on sackcloth. That's an outward sign that that, that I'm humbling myself because the sackcloth was rough. It was scratchy. it It was a humiliating thing to be seeing. And then he fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. So all the external signs of repentance, 
And God is so good. God is so gracious. Even in an insincere repentant like Ahab, God says, I'm going to give you some more time. God gave Ahab three more years. He didn't bring this judgment on him immediately. So it goes on to say, because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring calamity on his house. Now, this repentance was only the world's repentance. It was not godly sorrow that leads to repentance unto salvation. There's a big difference. This was sorry I got caught. Sorry that you called me out. Sorry for the consequences that I really don't want to pay for. It, what, what doesn't Ahab do? Ahab never goes back to the widow of Naboth. He never apologizes for what he did. He never says, here, this land is yours. I stole it. I, my wife contrived this entire story to have your husband brutally killed. No, he put on all the external signs, but no internal change of heart. And how do we know that? Because the next chapter tells us that he's ready to go into battle again with a godly king named Jehoshaphat from the kingdom of Judah. And he doesn't inquire with any of the prophets of God. He surrounds himself with a bunch of yes people. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I, you know, give me health, wealth, and prosperity theology. Pretty much is what he's saying. Just tell me everything's going to be successful. And Jehoshaphat looks around. He says, don't you have a prophet of the Lord? And we can see Ahab's true heart here. He says, yeah, there's one guy, Micaiah, and I hate him. You know why he hated him? Because he always told him the truth. Not what he wanted to hear, but what he needed to hear. They call in Micaiah and he says, shall we go up to battle? All the other prophets are saying, yes, yes, yes. Are you going to chime in with them? He says, yeah, go ahead. Everything's going to be fine. He says, I adjure you. You tell me. You always tell me the truth. He says, yeah, you go and you're going to fall. And Ahab did everything he could to prevent his death disguised himself as if he was King Jehoshaphat. And at the end of the day, somebody just takes a random shot with a bow, and it hits Ahab. They prop him up in his chariot, and he's bleeding out. They take him home to Samaria, and they wash the chariot out in the field of Naboth. And the dogs lick the blood. Insincere repentance. That's the final sign of a scorner. So today, like I said, this sermon, first of all, I had to look at my own heart and I had to preach it to myself. And I want us to know today that this isn't for us to be looking around at anybody else in the room. This is for each one of us to look into our own hearts and say, okay, God, how do I respond when I am corrected? God, am I open to your word? Do I tremble at it? God, do I make excuses? Do I justify the things that I'm doing? God, 
do I genuinely repent from the things around me? Lord, do I have a hunger and thirst for your word? Do I meditate it on day and night? Do I light, delight myself in that? God, do I thank you when I am corrected? Do I take correction as a personal attack, or do I really take inventory of my life and say, okay, God, here's some blind spots. How can you help me? This is what God wants us to take away from this sermon. God wants us to be wise and to increase in learning. God doesn't want any of us to end up as a slave to our habits. He has come to set us free. So let's pause with prayer. And I just want to open this morning the, the, the front of the church right here. I'm going to give, let Tracy just play. And, and if, if you want to just come up and pray, no one's going to judge you. No one's going to say, why is he going forward? Why, why is that lady going up there forward? If you want to just come and as God's spirit has spoken to you, if you want to just bow your head right there in your seat, Let's do business with a holy God this morning. And if you want to come up here and just pray with me, you're welcome to do that. And we're going to give about two or three minutes of Tracy playing quietly, and then we'll close our service.